All right, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Great to see you all. Good morning. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get started here. I'm already a minute behind, and you guys know how I like to talk, so I need every second I can get. Um, before I get started today, I'm going to read for us um, Exodus 12, verses 43 through um, the end of the chapter, verse 51. And it be a little strange why, but I think it helps us, even if you continue to think about hospitality today, it helps us. Uh, see even how hospitality played a role in the, the Old Testament, right? How hospitality was part and parcel of what the Jews did. Um, so here's Exodus 12, starting verse 43, going to the end of the chapter. Um, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel do just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, by their hosts. Um, and just a couple of interesting points there, right? Notice that for Passover, there's an explicit demarcation, right? Strangers, foreigners, they can't eat of it. Um, strangers, foreigners can't eat of it. And if they want to eat of it, right, if they see the goodness of it, then they need to be circumcised. They need to become, as it says, like an Israelite. And you may be wondering what in the world does that do with hospitality, right? But it kind of shows us the lines of hospitality, right? That if you, think, if you remember the other feasts, right, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Booths, um, the Sabbath even, that strangers were included in all of that. You know, just think about the, the, the third commandment for the Sabbath, right? Fourth commandment for the Sabbath. Yeah, got mixed up there for a second. Fourth commandment for the Sabbath, right? That um, that everybody was included in that rest. Your, your slave woman, your slave man, everybody got to participate in this day of rest. And same with the Feast of Weeks, right? It says, let everyone, you know, foreigner, native rejoice in this time. Feast of Booths as well. And yet for Passover, which held a, a special place of importance for Israel, was only for the native, right? Only for a true Israel. And if, and if a foreigner wanted to partake of it, right, that they would come and be circumcised just like this. And that shows us, even as we think about hospitality in a Christian place, that we are, you know, we are commanded, we are expected to welcome people in to almost every facet of our lives. Right, to let them taste and see the good things the Lord has to offer. But there are certain places that says, hey, you know, our, our only thing to tell it this way, our message of hospitality should be one that says, hey, you are welcome to join us in all these things. Right? And come participate with us. Come taste and see the Lord is good. But there's this line that you yourself have to cross in order to participate. Right? And we would say that's the Lord's table. Right, that is that that special bond of fellowship. But they should be getting in our hospitality as we serve and minister to non-believers. They should be getting a taste of that. Right, that man, if this is what their common hospitality looks like, right? Imagine how much sweeter it would be on the inside. Right, to actually be a member. Does that make sense? What I'm saying that, that these, these lines of demarcation, even in the people of Israel, show us our own lines of demarcation. Right, that. You know, so I think so I think I said this last week, but you know, imagine if every Sunday we treated every Sunday like Easter. You know, having friends over, family over for feasting and laughing, and having people from the outside join us and letting them see this is what the Lord has to offer. 
in some regards, like a small taste, and just imagine how how the, the, the preciousness of actually coming in and, and becoming like an Israel. And also, just even a thing about circumcision, right? This um, It doesn't say, let him be circumcised and continue to be a stranger among you, but it actually says, let him be circumcised and become like a native, right? That there, once that line is crossed, right? Circumcision in the Old Testament, faith and baptism in the New Testament. Well, no, not faith and circumcision in the Old Testament, faith and baptism in the New Testament. Um, once that line is crossed, there is no more distinction. Right? They are totally welcomed in to all that we have to offer. They are totally, they are now fully a part of the body of Christ. Um, so let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your uh, kindness to us, Lord, and uh, you who came and showed us um, the ultimate hospitality, Lord, in not only uh, calling us to yourself, but actually transforming us, making us, Lord, uh, fit people for your table. But we do ask that even as we uh, seek to be your people, that you would teach us what it means to draw people in, to uh, call the sinner near and far, Lord, unto your kingdom. And we ask this in your son's mighty and matchless name. Amen. Um, all right, so we're going to dive through a couple of Westminster Large Catechism, catechism questions today. Um, starting off, question 26, right, we're still in the, the joyful uh, section on sin. It's talking about original sin. Question 26, how is original sin conveyed from our first parents unto their posterity? So how does this, this fact that every person, every man, woman, and child since Adam has been part and parcel of their sin? They ask, how does that pass on? The answer is, original sin is conveyed from our first parents unto their posterity by natural generation. So it's all that proceed from them in that way are conceived and born into sin. So notice first is that, um, you know, Early church fathers uh, would read uh, scripture and say, you know, there's something evil about the, the, the marital act, right, that somehow passes sin from parent to child. Um, and that was sort of the generally accepted way, even you see Augustine saying something like that, of like, the sexual act is this sort of necessary evil to bring about children, but it makes them evil in the process. Um, and the reformers are really trying to push against that, right? That that marital union is something given before the fall, so there's nothing intrinsically wrong. But there is something about, you know, almost, you can almost get, you see how they're just sort of trying to hint at this mystery of, not really sure how it happens, but when man and woman come together, when they have a child, there's something about their natures that just creates evil people, right? That sinful people beget sinful people is really the, uh, the, the simple way of, Understand, but notice too that it says, and we talked about this before, but it says by natural generation, and they're they're carving out that very special place for Jesus, right? That it it takes man and woman together to beget sinful children, and it's actually somehow in God's mercy and wisdom that the virgin birth is one of the things that kept Jesus from original sin. Um, and then it's, then it asks, right? As we've got this original sin thing figured out. Question twenty seven: What misery did the fall bring upon mankind? The fall brought upon mankind the loss of communion with God, his displeasure and curse. Uh, his displeasure and curse. So we, as we are by nature children of wrath, bond slaves to Satan, and justly liable to all punishments in this world, and that which is to come. So he says we've, we've lost two things, and we've gained three things. Right? So the two things we've lost is, um, besides... The original righteousness that we started talking about. We've lost this communion with God, right? This sweet communion that Adam seemed to possess in the garden of, of walking with God, of being able to, um, you know, it, at the 
uh, Genesis account talks about hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Whatever that was, right? Having this closeness, this real intimacy with God. We've lost that. Um, and we've, we've actually, because we've lost that, we've, we've brought upon, we can say we've lost his pleasure, right? We've lost his blessing. That's a, you know, when we lose his pleasure, we lose his blessing. That's, that's when we gain his displeasure and curse. Um, and so we are by nature, and this is them pulling from Ephesians 2, right? We are by nature children of wrath. And that's, you know, that, that's that idea that as soon as we're conceived, right, as, as David says, in, in, in sin did my mother conceive me, in, trans, in iniquity did my mother bring me forth. Right? As soon as we're conceived, we are guilty parties of the human race, right? There's no, there's no like, you know, you're innocent until... You know, age four, when suddenly you have some sort of rational understanding, right? Somehow, because of the covenantal relationship we share with Adam, all people from the smallest in the womb all the way up to the oldest is are by nature children of wrath. Uh, and notice how they how he further describes it. If we're children of wrath, that means that we are bond slaves to Satan. Right? And that's one of those that I wrestle with. You know, one thing I'd always wrestle with my my teenagers when I was in youth ministry is just that shocking statement that Paul makes that. You know, we're, not, we're, we're all bad. We kind of get that sense-ish that we're not the best that we could be. But Paul goes further that we're serving the prince of the power of the air, right? That before Christ, all we're able to do is just obey Satan, which is a pretty, <laughs> right? For a Christian and non-Christian alike, that's a pretty harsh statement, right? That you are, before Christ, just bond servants of Satan, right? You're just doing what Satan commands, really unable to, to fight against him. Um, and because of that, notice what, what this brings, right? This loss of communion, having God's displeasure and curse, being bond slaves to Satan, justly liable to all punishments in this world and that which is to come. So notice first, justly liable to all punishments in this world, right? It makes me think of uh, when Jesus says, you know, hey, when that tower fell on those, you know, people over there, were they somehow more guilty than people who are spared? And, it, you know, the answer is no, right? Everyone deserves to have a tower fall on them, right? But it's it's God's mercy that keeps those things from happening, right? In other words, all the suffering that we undergo in this life, whether immediately caused by our own sin or not, is really just the due penalty in this life for our sin, right? Does that make sense? And the God's mercy is that he uses it to shape us and to form us, but it's not like no one doesn't get what they I'm not trying to say this. Way too many negatives in that statement. No one gets what they don't deserve. Yeah, no one gets what they don't deserve. Thank you. Yeah, right. That there is the, the excuse is why do, I, why do I why do I deserve this? Right. There, that's not part of the vocabulary. There's there's no grammar for that in the Christian faith because we really, if we're being honest, we really deserve everything we get, whether we're immediately the cause of it or not. Um, and that's really you know that's that's a hard thing to reckon with uh, that we are liable to all punishments. And the reason our lives aren't worse is because God in his mercy actually keeps those things back from us, right? Keeps those things um, from, from overflowing us. Um, and and then that which is to come, right? Ultimately the, the final eternal punishment. I know. Um, so that's our Westminster Lord Catechism today. Let's dive back into talking about evangelism. We want to continue talking about this hospitality thing. I, I kind of left, we, we basically walked through all of that um, last week, that first section there. Um, but I want to just underscore again, right, even as we that quote from Mary Douglas shows there, that having meals together really does communicate messages of acceptance, 
right? It, it, it tells you implicitly and sometimes explicitly who's in, who's out. Right? There's something, um, right? Mystical is the wrong word. Sacramental is definitely the wrong word. But, you know, there's, there's something powerful about having a meal with people and much more so a meal in your own home, right? Or a meal in someone else's home of actually communicating, hey, you, you know, you, we may have our differences, but I am willing to open myself up to you. And I'm willing to have you into my home and be a part of our lives. I love that, that line, right? Food categories, therefore, encode social events. So every time we have a meal together, we're actually communicating things. We're communicating things to ourselves. We're communicating things to those around the table. Right? And really, you know, we think about um, why something like praying before a meal is so important. Right? That it, it kind of sets the tenor, praying, th- giving thanks to God before a meal, kind of sets the tenor for the entire meal, that it's couched in gratitude. It's, gra- it's couched in a certain posture before God of uh, recognition that everything we say is before God himself, right, at this table. Um, again, just to, uh, to quote it one more time, I just think it's so good. From uh, that kind of longer quote there from Rosaria Butterfield, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. If you are prohibited from using your living space in this way, it counts if you support in some way some household, uh, some household in your church that is doing it. The purpose of radically ordinary hospitality is to build, focus, deepen, and strengthen the family of God, pointing others to the Bible-believing local church and being earthly and spiritually spiritual good to everyone we know. Um, again, just I love how in Rosario Butterfield's book is really just that statement worked out in a million different ways, uh, but just a really great example and a convicting example, right, of, whew, really don't do a good job loving my neighbors and my, my literal neighbors, right? Like, I love having people over that I like, right? That I've got the chance to kind of test out here. Like, will our conversation be good? Like, it won't have those awkward pauses. I'm much more reticent to, you know, my neighbor that I've talked to twice. Be like, hey, come over for dinner, right? You And then, that's when you're really kind of opening yourself up to, I have no idea what he's going to say. <laughs> I have no idea how this conversation is going to go. Um, and so even challenging myself, right, to what does it mean to truly open up your house? Um, so just even think about, right, the practices of hospitality. Um, and I, I talked a little, I, I ended the lesson last week with saying this. Um, but as we think about practicing hospitality, um, the important thing, one of the important things, I think, to keep in mind is that everyone wants to feel welcome, whether they're, you know, you know, my neighbor across the street, Rich, great guy, kind of a weird oddball, super conservative, but like super atheist too. So I guess that's kind of on the rise, but you know, he's he's just kind of like, huh, you're, you're I feel like you may stand alone in Georgia, I don't really know. But a um, uh, really sweet guy, but even, and he's gruff, you know, he's like 85 years old with an engineer, does everything himself, just, you know, is really kind of amazing. Um, he makes me feel like a sham, but, um, you know, even someone like Rich, independent, right? And he even mentioned, right, I had my first birthday party in probably 50 years thrown for me by a friend and just how special that was. And so even as we're thinking about approaching people, right, everyone wants to feel welcome. Everyone wants to feel like they're 
a part that they're accepted for for some reason, right? Um, you know, we never really make it out of middle school, right? I mean, one thing that I realized being in youth ministry for six years was that, A, when you step into a room full of teenagers, all those things you thought you'd gotten over suddenly come, like, <laughs> roaring back, and you're like, I haven't thought about the way my ears look in, like, 15 years. Um, but also, we never really get over that, right? That, you know, teenagers do all the things they do because they're looking for other teenagers to say, hey, you're cool. And really, we, we do the same thing, right? We, we want, obviously, we kind of put down the guards a little bit more, and we, have, we may expand our, our field of friends a little bit more, but we're all looking for someone to say, hey, you belong. Like, come, come have a meal with us. Um, and so even as we think about it, as you think about practicing hospitality, right, that's sort of our, if we're thinking just from a sociologically, sociological point, that everyone wants to feel welcome. And so even when we think about inviting people over, right, I mean, you know, and, there's always that fear of like, what's, is this going to be awkward inviting him over? Is this, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this, you know, five minutes before dinner because my wife will kill me if I do this. But what, how is this going to be perceived by my neighbor? How, am I going to be, you know, we're all kind of fearing, stumbling over our words, sounding like an idiot, um, but really trusting that, hey, that simple offer of hospitality, that simple offer of, hey, why don't you come over and just, you know, whatever, have a cup of coffee with me, have a, but just in my house, being a part uh, is something that we're all really looking for. Uh, and so just even as I was thinking this morning, this past week of, you know, what does it look like to practice hospitality, right? What does it look like to um, engage others? And, you know, obviously there's the very simple meal that we've been talking about, right? <coughs> having people over for, for dinner, having people over for lunch. Uh, and the really the easiest way to start that, you know, which again, is sort of Everything I say, I've got 10 fingers of my own pointing back at me, right, of everything I say. So this is not the great and glorious guru teaching his peons how to evangelize. Um, but, you know, start small. Start with having a habit of just having your friends over for dinner, right, having people over for dinner. Um, and then as that becomes regular, it's no surprise, right, it's not going to suddenly throw your schedule in a whack when you have a neighbor over. And it really creates an, an easy on-ramp, right? Of, hey, have, you know, one thing, uh, I'm trying to remember who this was, but I heard this idea from someone, and I cannot, for the life of me, I feel like it was someone in Jackson, I can't remember. Good idea or a bad idea? It was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. That's right, as will. Um, but, you know, the, starting small of just, you know, or the, their rule was, you know, they, they loved having friends over, but then they started thinking, hey, what would it look like to have one Christian friend couple over? and one non-Christian friend couple over, right? Or just a neighbor. You don't necessarily know if they're Christians or not, but just someone new, right? So having been, and, and, you know, you're smoothing out those awkwardnesses, right, if you have multiple multiple groups like that. Um, but second, um, as you think about practicing hospitality, as you think about having, really opening yourself up to people, um, what that really means practically in the day-to-day -day is that you kind of have to start to stop caring as much about what your house looks like, right? You have to stop caring uh, the quality of meal that you're going to be able to provide. Because if you're having, you know, if you're having regular people over, again, 10 fingers pointing back, um, you're not able to, you know, I, I love smoking brisket. Like, it's like become my favorite thing. But brisket's expensive. So, like, that's like the fattened cat for when my son comes home. Um, but... You know, I can't do, I would, as much as I would love to, you know, wow my friends and wow new people, right? I can't afford $50 every time I want to smoke, um, smoke some meat for, for someone for dinner. 
Um, and so even Rosaria Butterfield talks about how she's come to love rice and beans, right? Come to love because they're cheap. In general, everyone loves them, and you're not going to find a lot of dietary restrictions with rice and beans. Um, but even being okay with, you know, maybe you didn't get all the laundry folded, and, you know, the, the pantry isn't quite as organized as you would like it to be. Um, right? But really, as I said last week, that welcoming someone into your house and having them see your life really means showing them who you are. Right? Like I mentioned last week, you go to those houses where it's like, you know, do, pe- do people live here? Like, I don't see, like, a, not, only, not only not a speck of dust, but like, not even like a book. Like, there's nothing that would, that would seem that people actually live here. Uh, and so learning to, as we, as we ask people to drop down their guard to come and join us, we actually have to learn to drop down our guard, right? And, and part of that is our own, what we believe, whatever our facade needs to look like around us. Um, but even, you know, if there's a thing about other practices of hospitality, um, you know, one thing I am always so bad about is, you know, talking with a neighbor and then just letting that kind of be the last time I talk with them, right? And and have, you know, I think I mentioned this last week too. I have a neighbor in Jackson, wasn't a believer, pretty sure he was a, a gnarly alcoholic. He smoked pot with his, his teenage son, which is probably not the best. Um, but, you know, one thing he was so good about was every time he saw me, making a point to come <laughs> come and talk to me, right? Come and just ask me how I was doing, right? And how convicting that was for me as a believer, having this guy. Am I the only one hearing that beeping? Nope. No. No. Uh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, one even one practice hospitality and, uh, is just, you know, one... Evening, have one evening a week or, you know, two evenings a month or whatever where you just go and knock on a neighbor's door, you know, and just talk to them for 10 minutes to see how they're doing, right? You know, Court and I have done that a couple times, really with only one neighbor because we're selfish people and we know we're friends with them, so we like to go talk with them. Um, But, you know, bring over some cinnamon rolls to just give it to them. And it's amazing how, you know, when you first do it, like, this is going to be so awkward. This is going to be terrible. Like, they're going to slam the door in my face. They're going to loose their dogs on me and chase me out of their property. And it's actually really pleasant and really nice, right? And just being able to cement those bonds. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, there's hundreds of ideas of, of hospitality. Um, does anyone here have any things they've done that feels like, you know, is a good hospitable practice besides having people over for meals? Yeah. We used to do something with the boys. It was holiday, but... Christmas Day, I would make cinnamon rolls, and before we opened any presents or anything, we would drive to the local police station and fire department and give them mm-hmm. cinnamon rolls just to thank them. Mm-hmm. But you know what they did for us on Christmas Day. Yeah, so yeah. Duty, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's a great practice, and that's you know, we talked about uh, last week. What are those? What does the community give you, right? As far as being able to ministry to your community so that's a great idea yeah yeah well i used to like um when i would go like get a haircut i've done it a couple times or like any kind of service like that um i was like get a coffee or something mm-hmm. or, or bring them like hey here, you know like here's a, a, a latte yeah you know, just a trip people like like service industry and stuff like that are serving you that you actually are treating them like a person not just like uh Convenience. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that's that kind of external <coughs> hospitality of yeah. just showing people you care for them, and that's really hard. I mean, today, right? I mean, I think about 
and I've said this before too, how many times, I mean, even, it's shocking to me how many, now that wireless earbuds have become a thing, how many people just, generally in the younger years, you know, 18 to 25 or whatever, but even people my age, right, and older, who just walk around now with, they spend their lives with their their headsets, and you know, I, I was at the gym the other day, and I was just trying to like start a conversation with the guy, he's probably 22, 23, I don't really know, but he had on, he was, he was putting on his Crocs, because somehow Crocs have made a comeback. Um, yeah, uh, I think I remember, I think he just put them in two wheel, but they were white, but they were filthy. And so I just made the comment, you know, just trying to laugh a little, like, hey man, you must wear your Crocs everywhere that you go. And he didn't answer, and I was like, hmm, that's weird. And then I noticed, like, oh, he's got those stupid headphones in, right? That um, So really treating people like they're people, right? And that you know, being cognizant of them, interacting with them. On a reverse scale, one of the things that I get, and I don't know if I can do this, but I usually have a dog with me, and people always want to stop and talk to you. So it's kind of like, you know, it's it's a way to get people to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, they usually initiate conversation with me rather than you know, me having to initiate conversation mm -hmm. with them. Yeah, 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 that's a great point, yeah. Well, you run into the Google problems, <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The uh, so Apple Glass. When they walk to the store, they're talking out loud. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Building on what Will said, where I live among many elderly people who have stories to listen and ask questions, which will allow them to expand on their story, their memory. Yeah. Um, it's Almost critical. Yeah. A little dramatic word, but yeah. I think so. Yeah, that's really that's, that's, oh, sorry. Oh, you go ahead. There was a guy, um, I don't know if you ever heard of Neil Cole. Mm -hmm. uh, he wrote a book called Organic Church and Organic Discipleship. Okay. And uh, he was he planted a church, and basically what he would do is he, he started, he, he was a pastor and decided, like, you know, tired of the large church ministry. So he started going to, he left that and started going to coffee shops. And he would just share the gospel with people and he ended up playing like a bunch of churches around. It was like, I think it was like Seattle or somewhere. Mm -hmm. Churches in coffee shops. But his philosophy was to share the gospel with people, you've got to be able to do three things drink coffee, ask questions, and play games. Yeah. And he's like, you know, not necessarily those three, but you have to have something that bonds you, mm -hmm. like a coffee or mm -hmm. a meal. Second, ask the right questions. Be willing to ask questions and listen. And three, find something, mutual activity that you can share because people's guards break down yeah. over like, Doing something together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'd go there and bring a board game. Like, hey, you want to play this game with me? Yeah, yeah. And they just sit there and play games or something like that. Yeah, and then and, and yeah, something that can be done within your own home, cop shop, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Tim. Uh, be prepared to be delayed. Mm -hmm. One thing that yeah. I've one thing that I've learned from yeah. um, living next to an elderly lady at her last house, and then where we live at now, where everyone's retired on our little road. Uh, you're going to get talked to a lot. Mm -hmm. a <laughs> yeah. So, so don't go there wanting to be nice for five seconds yes. and immediately wanting Amen. to right. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Like dedicate your time. I mean, fully expect to dis be disappointed in your time. Yeah. But in that way, you, you're going to enjoy the time. You're going to yeah. enjoy like, hey, I, I have nothing to do for thirty minutes. Yeah. Because I set aside an hour to talk to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. You see that with Jesus and the disciples a lot too, where like. They're on a mission, and Jesus like stop and yeah. minister. And they're like, what are we doing? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We gotta, we gotta eat. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and he wasn't afraid to be inconvenienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, really, and that really kind of takes us to the next right when we're thinking about really just, not just hospitality but evangelism in general. Is 
it starts with really us taking the initiative, right? And what that looks like in a couple of ways, A, just, you know, not to get too charismatic here, but there is a certain sense of trusting the leading of the spirit, right? Of just, of, you know, so often I've had those times where I'm, you know, I'm sitting at a coffee shop or whatever, wherever I'm doing, and there's someone there that for something, whether they're wearing something or they do something or they say something, whatever, it just kind of like, you know, perks, perks me up a little bit. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if he or whatever did X or did Y just as a follow-up. And so often I shy away from that. Like, you know, I've got to be somewhere in 40 minutes or they probably don't want to be inconvenienced and have just kind of, eh, I'll just push down that little you know, spark of interest or whatever, and just pretend that I'm going to go back to my work. Um, but really, listen. I mean, just you know, when you're out, pay attention to how you know what things catch you about someone. Yeah, that's the second time I've done that. Um, pay attention to how what catches you about someone, and you know, if you feel like, man, it'd be interesting to know if they do this. If they, you know, like I'm a big Dave Matthews fan fan, right? So whenever I see someone wearing a Dave Matthews shirt, or I'm a big Cubs fan, right? Whenever I see someone wearing a Cubs, a, a Cubs hat, um, you know, huh, it'd be cool. To, maybe, are they from Chicago? Or do they, you know, are they like me? Grew up in Nashville, but had, um, you know, uh, the Chicago local stations on. Say what? WGN. WGN, yeah. Um, people love to talk about themselves, too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Off-putting, if you're like, hey, ask me a question, but oh, I'd love to talk about myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But trusting this leading of the spirit, right? Trusting the the that you know those sayings, you know, we're not. This isn't like you know, you get an inkling that this person's mother died when she was like four, or he was four, right? That you know, these aren't like prophetic inklings that we're having. These are just common things that you see um, that you see and can that the spirit is really giving you, right? These doors that the spirit is giving you in order to just strike a conversation, right? The the spirit works in remarkably ordinary ways. Right, that it's not going to be like a great big. You're not going to see a vision of someone like surfboarding. Like, were you a surfboarder when you were growing up? But you know, having having small things that the Lord gives you. Um, second, as, as Tim so well put it, Tim and, and, and Will both right flexibility, right of um, learning to crank our schedules down from eleven to you know six or seven. Right, opening opening up space to be able to talk with people, opening up that time, um, and you know for. You know, for, for many people, that's probably the hardest part. It's not necessarily they don't want to talk to people, you know. They probably generally feeds hand in hand. But for a lot of times, they just don't have time, right? they got to get to work. If they don't, their boss will yell at them. And when they get to work, they got to get home because they haven't seen their kids all day. Um, you know, there's lots of real reasons, right? But when you can't afford it, learn to build in those flexible hours, right? Learn to build in, uh, you know, like uh, when I – if I'm here – and I'm, you know, like we ran out of coffee this week. Um, I and I get that two o'clock slump. I'm like, oh man, I need some coffee. So I, you know, I run to abide and really I'm to teach myself, like, hey, when I'm there, you're not get in, get out, and try and get back to the office as soon as possible. But go in and really be willing to strike up a conversation and just let that let that lie, right? Let that be for a little while. Um, and then, and third, and this is kind of going along with all with both of them prior, and as Will said too, right? Like he's talking about the coffee, right? Look for commonalities, right? As you're as you're thinking about who to minister to, whether in um, you know an out here scenario, so you're at Aldi or coffee shop or whatever, um, or you're with a neighbor, right? And you're trying to bring them in 
for a more hospitable setting, um, search for those commonalities. Search for those things, right? I mean, I'm, I don't know, you know, some of y'all, you guys ever watched the show The Middle? Has anyone seen the show The Middle? It's a great show. It's about like... Say what? Yeah. Well, they so they they're they're about um, it's about this family, family five in the middle of it's called the middle. They're in the middle of nowhere in Indiana. It's a small little you know midwestern town. It's just a hilarious show. It's got the mom from uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, um, who's a Christian. So it's, it's cool to have her there. But it's a great show. Um, but their youngest son, who's really quirky, is like in love with fonts. So he starts like a font podcast, and then later on in the show, he starts like the font club at at high in high school. Um, so it's just really quirky. But my point is, right, you may have those, <laughs> you may, you, you know, you may have an odd thing, thing no one's ever going to care about this. And then you find somebody, you're like, you like fonts too, right? And you have no idea how the Lord will use that to, <laughs> yeah, that may not be your thing. Fonts may not be, although font, I had some elders in my last church who were all about fonts. And I, they did, I will say it's a fascinating science, the whole thing about fonts. Um, but, right, look for, look for those commonalities, look for those things. That um, and let me say it this way: look for commonalities, and be willing to be interested by a lot. Like keep your fascination with people and topics, right? That don't um, don't fall prey to the trap of thinking we have nothing in common, therefore we have nothing to talk about, right? That there's a million things that they don't know that you know. And, you know, one of my my rhetoric professors, he kind of drilled this in my head. But there's something true about fake it till you make it. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, we in the age of authenticity. That's probably not the that's not the mantra now. But there's something true of if you're not that interested, well, keep eye contact with them and let them know that while you don't find what they're saying interesting, <laughs> right, you find them as a person because they're a person interesting, right? Who deserves their respect? Who deserves your respect? And wait, yeah, they deserve. To be given to respect, to, to be listened to, um, and then even uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna do this last one, and then we're gonna break up in our groups and pray. Um, but even as as Ellen was talking about, right, of not only talking with elderly, but learning the right right questions to ask, right, learning the right questions to what are some exploratory questions that you just have ready to go, right, and you know again in our in our you know. Go a mile a minute. Have our AirPods in. Everything. We're really kind of nervous of crossing anything beyond water cooler talk, right? And so, kind of learning to to ask those questions and just see what happens, right? And learn and, and really, you know, all I know everyone in this room has walked through some sort of hardship, some sort of pain, um, and really those moments of pain, you know, make you realize, like, man, it would really would have been awesome if someone asked me about that in the midst of it, right? Or, it, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, this is not like, what was us, but just what the Lord taught us. You know, we walked through infertility for about five years. And it taught me, man, as I talked about it, there's a lot of people who have gone through this too. And they want to talk about it, right? And so learning, you know, it's a super awkward question. You know, have you guys been trying for a while, right? I mean, it can be a super awkward question. But it it's one of those questions that kind of, you know the pain of having that. You know the pain of kind of feeling alone in your sadness and giving that bridge to someone else of, hey, I actually want to hear what you're going through, right? I actually want to hear. So, you know, questions about their childhood. Right? What was it like? What was your relationship like with your dad growing up? What was your relationship like with your mom? Did you, you know, um, questions about, um, you know, their their sibling relationship. Questions about, um, you know, even, you know, seemingly 
banal questions like, what were you interested in as a kid? Right? What, what, what was your, just getting to know the person as a person, right? Um, and then, you know, questions about their religious history. One, th you know, one thing I'm always so shocked by, not that I've done it a lot, but when I do, I'm shocked by is how ready people are when we, we're told time again that politics and religion are, have no place at the table, how willing people actually are to talk about what they think about God, mm -hmm. right? Even people that you would think have no religious inclination at all still have some opinion that they want to give about God. So just that, right? Were you born... What, what was, were you born, you know, Christian? What was your, did your parents take you to church at all? Um, ask them what they think about God. Ask them what they think about, um, you know, you know, ask them what they think about various religions, right? I mean, you know, there's all, the, all the, the Lord has given us all these different ways that, you know, our conversations, all, all we're looking at, we're thinking about beginning, taking this initiative is just getting to know the person, right? Really getting to know their, who they are and not, not starting off with, you know, like I've said before, we always want to think about our conversations leading to the point of evangelism, but we don't just treat each person as a project that, you know, I have to get to this point so that I can share the gospel, and then, you know, then I'm either done with them and I move on, or, right, it, it, that person just becomes another thing, right? But really getting to know that person as a person. Um, you know, there, there are hundreds of questions to ask like this, but I do think, even when I think about my own my own, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty outgoing guy. I can be. I'm sort of on that line between introvert and extrovert. You know, I can, I can fold one or the other. But I can ask. You know, I, my my wife will tell you I don't mind asking awkward questions sometimes. Um, but really, becoming comfortable asking those questions. Right? Really, and, and again, part of that is always trusting that they're not going to hate God because I've asked them the wrong question. Right? That's not the thing that's going to drive them away from Christianity. Or, or you know. Again, they may hate me for asking this question, but I guess I can't control how someone re responds to that, right? So really becoming comfortable of asking what questions that on at first blush may seem to be crossing the line, right? Now, obviously, there are questions you probably shouldn't ask, <laughs> right? So let's, don't just ask the first question that comes to mind. But, you know, what, even, you know, one thing that my, uh, my uh, pastor mentor, one of my pastor mentors would talk about is not necessarily bringing like note cards with you to a meeting or hanging out with somebody, right? But even writing questions out and just having them in mind as you go in, like knowing exactly what you want to ask um, beforehand is a helpful practice as well. Um, any questions, comments about any of that before we kind of break it into prayer? Yeah, Ellen. Um, if you can convey that you're trustworthy and not being superficial, military uh, of an older age, mm -hmm. Uh, that are willing to trust. Uh, last year I spoke with a gentleman in his late 80s who was part of the helicopter crew mm -hmm. going into Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, he longed to talk. Mm -hmm. uh, and don't forget there are women yeah. that served in the military. There yeah, was yeah. a lady, I'll be quiet, uh, she was known as Sarge. She was a sergeant in World War II. Oh, wow. Uh, think of the stories, uh, the history of... So, again, convey trust and don't be superficial. Yeah. Uh, and if, they, if you can, come out. No, you're fine. I'm one of those old ladies talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that really is great. I think that's, I mean, that's right on. Convey, convey trust and even, you know, learning, you know, just trying to take a hold of common grace insights the Lord gives us, right? 
read up on what body language says to people, right? Read up on how you and just the way you posture yourselves before people, right? You know, read up on how going like this, you know, can get is different than mirroring. Yeah, or mirroring, right? And like learn, learn. And again, we're not trying to manipulate people, but we are trying to take the best of what common grace tells us. Of here is how you communicate. Hey, I'm a trustworthy person, right? I mean, you can be the most trustworthy person, but if I'm talking to you and you're going, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna, <laughs> right? I'm not gonna tell you anything, right? I'm not gonna, I'm never gonna open up because you just don't seem interested. You don't seem like you'll really convey anything. Um,